Hey, Rockbridge, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here wherever you're at, any of our six locations, or maybe you're watching online on demand. Thank you so much. My name is Matt, and a great to have you here, great time to be here. We start a new series today called Battle Tested, but it's really a continuation of where we've been in 2021 together, where we've been as we've been asking a question. We've been asking a question, and the question is this. Do we want a future based on what we can do, or do we want a future based on what God can do? And, and, and the, the continuation is this. If we're going to press in to what God can do, God is going to have us be battle-tested. And, and battle-tested, it's one thing to be tested, but battle-tested means you're ready. Battle-tested means you're prepared. Battle-tested means you're proven. Battle-tested means you're positioned. And what would we be battle-tested for? What God can do. What God can do. And, and so, while we're going to talk and, and say some hard things, there's ultimately a lot of hope that God would battle-test his people, would battle-test his church to position them for what he can do. Look at what he can do. We can, the Bible tells us we can't even imagine it. It says this, now to him who is able to do above and beyond. He can do, God can do, above and beyond all that we can ask or think. That means we can pray things, and we can pray things that are bounded by our finiteness, that are bounded by our perspective, that are bounded by our, pers uh, our culture, that are bounded by our traditions, but God is not bounded by those things, and so he can do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Then it says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now, as you read that, that is an incredibly hopeful statement. It's a, it's a prayer that's designed to give us hope in what God can do. We've all been disappointed, have we not? We've all been disappointed because really we have been hoping for what we can do. And what we can do has been frustrated, whether it's been frustrated by a recession, by a pandemic, by a pol political situation, by a circumstance that you didn't foresee coming. We're all sitting here frustrated. We're all sitting here bothered by, you know, hoping for what we can do. And here I think we're at a, a crucial juncture for the American church. Now, we can say Rockbridge is healthier than the American church or not as healthy, but we're still part of the American church. And so we're at this critical juncture of will we press forward, move forward for what God can do, allowing him to battle test us to get there, but have hopes that he will do, can do, wants to do beyond all that we can ask for or imagine. So let's have some hope this weekend. Let's have some hope moving forward. Let's admit life has been hard on our hope, but let's see and press into a different kind of hope built on what God can do. I want to share just a definition of hope that sort of worked on with some books and stuff. And, 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 I, and I like this definition for where the church is. I like this definition for where we are 2020 into 2021. Here's the definition. Hope, the stubborn, unrelenting determination to not allow the hardships and disappointments of life to downsize the bigness of God, to diminish God's purposes for us, or to divorce ourselves from his blessings. Think about that for just a second. 
And, and the words I've highlighted are hardships and disappointments. Because for most of us, hardships and disappointments actually hurt our hope rather than fuel our hope. But, but what if the hope that we have of God and the battle testing that God takes us through to position us to receive what he can do, what if that is designed by God, ordained by God to give us and fuel within us a hope like this? A hope that can handle hardship and disappointment. In fact, a hope that is fueled by, maximized by hardship and disappointment. So, so let me say this about Christian hope for just a second. Whether you're a Christian or not, let's just refresh this and understand this. Christian hope is better than worldly hope. It is better than political hope. It is better than financial hope. It is better than I hope Monday is better than, than, than Friday was. It is better than all of that. And, and, and God, in battle testing us to position us for what he can do, wants us to lean in and have a hope that is as high as what he can do, which is above what we can ask for or imagine that he can do. Now, now here's the paradox, and, and here's the challenge that we've got to work through together this weekend. And we'll have to press in, okay? So I'm just warning you, we'll have to press in, is that for Christian hope to be realized and maximized, Hope and Christian hope and hardship go together. Now, for most of us, we walked in here and we don't, that, that's like not something we've been trained to believe. Because for us, hardship, right, has killed our hope or diminished our hope or taken our hope or caused our hope to wane or caused our hope to falter or caused our hope to disappear. But for the Christian hope, which is better than worldly hope, hope and hardship actually go together. And so what we're going to work on with, with the help and the power and the truth of God's word is this. We're going to work on this because we're all sitting here in a season of hardship, whether it's hardship that you're experiencing in your own personal life, it's hardship that you feel just after all the world has and is going through or all our nation is or has gone through or your specific community is or has going through. We're all dealing with that hardship thing and, and, and it's been hard on our hope. But today we hear an invitation from God to be battle tested so we can be positioned for what he can do and what can he do more than we ask or more than we imagine now for us to receive and live in this kind of hope we have to learn something and there's just one word that I'll use to describe it we have to reframe our hardships and our disappointments in order to fuel our hope we have to look at our hopes, or look at our hardships rather, and our disappointments differently. We have to look at it through the lens of what God is up to. We have to look at it through the lens of God battle-testing his church, battle-testing us individually and corporately in order to position us to receive what he can do. Listen to the, word, listen to the words of Scripture. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So Peter is simply saying, hey, look, don't, don't, don't wig out. 
When, when weird things happen, when bad things happen, when crazy things happen, when, when awful things happen, when trials and tests come, when hardships and disappointments come, don't freak out. It's all part of the equation. And, and we'll see, you know, you'll see later on, if you go even just read verse 13, you'll see how the trial and the hope of the Christian go together. James 1-2 says it even clearer or, or connects hope and hardship even more clearly than, than Peter does. He says, consider it a great joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now, now that's a head scratcher, right? I, I know we're tempted to become atheists when we read that verse, right? We're tempted to say, no, 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 that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And, and we divorce, right, our American notion of prosperity and hope from God's notion of prosperity and hope. So here's what we need to say is we reframe. The first thing we have to reframe is how we look at life. Life is designed by God to be a test. That's actually a concept from chapter 5 of Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, one of those massive best-selling books that hit the Christian world, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. But, it, but it's scriptural that life is designed by God to be a test. And when, once we can see life that way, we're not surprised. See, what happens to so many of us, and, and the, reason we don't, the reason a lot of us have a problem is we don't understand this. And so when the test comes, we don't get better, we get bitter. When, when the test comes, we don't press in for the, to the cause of God. We complain about God. And so we got to embrace this or else we are just so susceptible to settling for a lesser hope and not being battle tested so we can be positioned for what God can do. In other words, let me say it this way to, to, to the church that God's battle testing. We must stop expecting to have a testimony without a test. A testimony is, man, here's what God did. And we all want a testimony, but nobody wants the test. The scriptures say, the one we follow says, you'll have the test so God can position you, prepare you for what he can do. I, I, silly, kind of crazy, stupid maybe example. So one of the testimonies of my life is the story of Rockbridge and how God you know, positioned Beth and I and, and the people who started Rockbridge with us back in 2002, 25 people. And... Uh, and, and, and let me just tell you just a test that happened. So Rockbridge came into existence 2002, but in uh, <clears throat> about 2000, not, late 99, I can't exactly remember, I, I was in nuclear power school in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And I was um, you know, studying, going to school, all this kind of stuff, to how, to how to operate nuclear reactors, that kind of thing, loads of fun. Um, and I was in my apartment <clears throat> one day, and I really, I was, I was praying, going through this study, and I really kind of sensed God saying, hey, Matt, start a Bible study for people in your apartment complex. And it was, it was pretty clear. And, and, you know, you test what you hear with the word of God. I'm like, Bible study, okay, that, that seems biblical, very biblical. So I, I went out to the mailbox area. You know, there's a common area in apartments where everybody gets their mail and all that, takes their trash, and there's like a bulletin board. And so I just tacked a note up there and said, interested in a Bible study, a whatever, call this number, put my number, put my email. And, uh, man, I was fired up. I was like, man, this is from God. This is from God, and this is going to be great. I can't wait. You know, people, somebody, maybe somebody will come to faith in Jesus. You know how many people came to my Bible study? Zero. 
not zip zero. And, and, I, and I often wondered, I was like, God, what was that? Why would you speak so clearly? And then nothing came out of it. And then January 12, 2002 came. And God spoke clearly again. And he said, hey, y'all move back to Dalton, Georgia. Start a different kind of church. We, we can't have a testimony without a test. See, a lot of times as, uh, as Christians... We love God's plans, God's promises, and God's future. But we want them without preparation, prayer, and fight. And, and, and the design of God is that he has wonderful plans for his kids. But it takes, they're so good and so beyond what we can ask for, imagine, or think. It takes preparation. We, we all read God's promises like, yeah, I want that one. You want to pray until you pray? Ah, no, I'm too busy for that. God's got a future. But we often don't get there without a fight. Now, I understand, you know, you're like, hey, Matt, I thought this was a hopeful message. We're going to get there. Um, but, but so some of us are like, why, why, why does God do it this way? I mean, wouldn't it be just a whole lot easier to just go without these things and just your plans? Here, your promises, it's yours, your future, just go for it. Well, you know, God's given us this ability to choose where we hope and where we place our hope. He's given us the question, right? Do you want what you can do or do you want what God Almighty can do? And that's the question God leaves up to us to answer. But, 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 but one of the reasons he does it this way is best answered by thinking of it this way. What if you had a false hope? When would you like to know you had a false hope? Sooner or later? So God has designed life to be a test in part to help us realize, hey, you might have hoped in the wrong something. And I love you too much to let you settle. So I will do everything God can do short of making the choice for you. And, and then the second question to help us embrace the way God's doing things and the battle-tested concept is this. What if you could have a better hope than you currently have right now? What if you could have a certain hope? What I like to call is a no-so hope. You know, a lot of us have a hope-so hope. You know what I mean, right? Man, I hope the weather's good on Friday, but you don't know, right? Man, man, I, I hope she'll say yes, but you don't know, right? Man, when I die, I hope to go to heaven, but unless you have Christ, you may not know. So, so what if God could rescue us from a false hope and give us a better hope, and give us a more certain hope. So God's designed life to be a test. And one of the most amazing things about God is he did not exempt himself from the test. 
Jesus, he incarnated himself, meaning he became one of us, came into the history of humanity. He walked among us, and Jesus was tested. I want you to look at this story in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be in Matthew 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. But in Matthew 3, look at what happens. It's just, it's mind-boggling. So Jesus, who's God, is baptized. You know, you know, I don't know, Rockbridge, why, why don't we make a big deal out of baptism? Somewhere along the American church, we started making baptism about a certain denomination instead of about a certain Savior. So Jesus gets baptized, right? And then, he, you know, he commands everybody who follows him to be baptized. But he came up immediately from the water, and the heavens suddenly opened for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down upon him. And the whole trinity is involved in Jesus' baptism, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. So here comes a voice from heaven. This is the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So this is like a, a mountaintop Super Bowl moment and, and, and for, for Jesus. And, I, I mean, we all live for those, right? We live for the moments when life is good, God is good, and everything's hunky-dory. We live for the church service where, man, they sang all the songs I wanted them to sing. The pastor preached the kind of sermon I want to hear. Man, God is good. Life is good. Go, God. But then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do, do you see the craziness or the, well, God, what are you doing? Well, like, he's designed life to be a test. And, and God will use Satan as a pawn to accomplish his purposes. And so the Spirit of God leads the Son of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, here's what we need to understand. Jesus Christ is never outside of God's will. He is inside of God's will, and he still gets tested. So, so some of us, some of you, the challenge for you, this isn't for all of us, but for some of you, here's your challenge. You're like, Matt, I'm in the will of God. I'm closer to God than I've ever been, but I'm in the wilderness too. So is Jesus. And you can still have hope. As we reframe and understand what God's actually doing. So <clears throat> Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted for 40 days. You know, we've had a Daniel day this past Wednesday and a lot of us fasted. So imagine going for 40 days and he's hungry. And the tempter, that's the, the devil, approached him and said, if you are the son of God. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying, doubt the words your dad just told you. The, it, it, in his baptism, God the Father said, you're the son of God. I, you're my son. I'm well pleased with you. And Satan always wants us to doubt God's word. So if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers with the word of God. And he says, it's written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's Jesus in the middle of the test, and here's Jesus being tested, and here's Jesus going forward, and he's inside of God's will. This is all under God's control. This is all under God's sovereignty, and Jesus just embraces the test. Now, we've got a little challenge here, because I think for a lot of us, especially the American church, you don't see this in the, in the underground church in China, you don't see this in the developing world church where extreme poverty, less than $1 a day living, and they're clinging to faith in Jesus because that's what they got, right? You don't, but you see it here. That, that what happens to us is we kind of don't, we reject the test. Instead of embracing it, understanding it, and understanding how to have hope in it, through it, and from it, we, we reject it. There's two ways we reject it. The first is denial. We just deny it. We, no, that's not how God works. 
There's a whole form of preaching. And you can find it on TV. Let me, listen, listen. Don't believe every preacher on TV, okay? Don't believe everything you hear on social media too, okay? But there's a whole form of preaching that's functioning as a denial of God's word. And it's called the prosperity gospel. It's called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? That's how God wants you. And if not, you lack faith. If you send money in, God will make you more healthier or make you wealthier. I mean, it's a whole form of that. It contradicts the word of God. It contradicts the purposes of God. And it diminishes the hope of the people of God. So, so there's the denial piece. And there's some of, some, some of us, we just get in survival mode. Survival mode. Like, I just got to get through this. I'm just, I can't wait to get back to normal. God doesn't want you to get back to normal. He wants you to hope in what he can do. And what can he do more than you ask or imagine? You can imagine normal, but we can't imagine what God's going to do. So we don't, he doesn't want us in survival mode. Too many American Christians are sitting around waiting for the rapture. Oh, could it be tomorrow? There's a lot of people made a lot of books talking about the rapture. and He hadn't come back yet. Because I mean, there's more for him to do through you, through us, through the church. And so what we have to understand, when we reframe to see life is a test by God's design, is that everything has significance. Every incident has significance. And, and so this word significance is a hopeful word, right? It means not accidental. It means purposeful. It means God's doing something with his design. Now, to understand what God's doing in this design of testing, to understand that, so battle-tested, to position ourselves to receive what only God can do, which is more than we can ask for or imagine, to, uh, to understand what God's doing and the significance of it, there's a parallel Old Testament passage. And here's what I mean by that. If you read through the gospel, especially Matthew, he, Matthew is very, very conscious of the connection of Jesus to the Jewish people and to their, their journeys out of Egypt and their journeys as the people of the ethnic people of God, the Old Testament times, right? And, and so this passage of Jesus' testing parallels the testing of Israel in the wilderness. And, and so I'm going to read the Old Testament parallel passage, which is Deuteronomy 8. You'll see the parallels, and it'll help us see the significance of God's design. Here's what it says. And, and this is God speaking <clears throat> to his people the Jewish people, carefully follow every command I'm giving you today so you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. So this is uh, the geographic uh, Israel. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years. So the 40 parallels to Jesus is 40. In the wilderness, Jesus went to the wilderness. So that you might humble, so that he might humble you and test you to know what is in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands test in the heart and and he humbled you by letting you go hungry Jesus was hungry then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, the exact word Jesus quoted to the tempter in his test, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So we're reframing, right, to see life as designed by God to be a test, 
to battle test his people, to position his people for what he can do, which is above and beyond what we can think or imagine, right? And so the second step in this reframing of how we look at things is we need to shift our focus to where God is working and where God is focused on. And we shift our focus to our heart. This is incredibly hard to do. Incredibly hard to do because we are not trained to go here. We are not trained to look at our heart. We are told to follow our heart, not examine our heart, right? We are, we are told, hey, your heart won't lie. Just follow your heart. We're, we're told that, hey, if there's a problem, it's not in here, baby. It's out there, which is the exact opposite of humility because humility would have us first look in here before we look out there, okay? So we're not told or taught or trained to focus on our heart. And I, I, let me speak to some of you here today. Some of you here today, and we sang this song at many of our campuses last week, this week, called Breakthrough. Some of us here today will not look into our heart because there's a pain, a wound, or a scar. So you're kind of like you don't want to go there. And there's a wall up, or there's a mask on, or, or you're camouflaged, and you masquerade like you're good, and everything's okay, but, but you don't want to go there because you're, you're just like, if you haven't been to the dentist in a long time, you're like, God, what's he going to find out when I open my mouth? And, and, and so there's nervousness, and there's protection, and, and so you, you, you've got hurt there, or you've got shame there, or you've got guilt there, or conviction there, or a wound there, or a scar there, and you just won't go there. But God aims there. Now, I want to help us in this reframing process by taking a question that we've all asked and giving us a better question so we can look at where God is working, testing us in order to position us. Here's the question we've asked. What is happening to me? What is happening to me? Or, or you may have said, man, what is happening to the church? Or you may have said, man, what is happening to my family? Or you may have said, man, what is happening to my country? Or, or you may have said, God, I don't understand what's going on out here. All right? And, and that's just, we're just sort of trained to look around us and not to look inside of our heart. And so I, I want to give us a different question, a better question. It'll, it'll put you where God's working the most. It'll put you and, and help you zero in on where God is most active, okay? And, and so here's the question, okay? We're going to take this question, just create a little better question. What is what is happening to me revealing about me? What is what is happening to me revealing about me, a.k.a. what's going on in my heart? That's the question that we love, that's hard. That's the question that's challenging because we don't ask it. We don't ask it. I mean, if somebody came up to you in your small group and said, hey, man, how's your heart? Most would be like, fine, right? But if they said, hey, how's it going? You're like, man, my work was great today. Uh, but, you know, wife and I had a little fight. We're good at what's happening to me and around me. We're not great about what's going on inside of me. So I'm going to ask this question. And I'm going to ask it several ways. And, and I'm praying for us. I've been praying for us. That, that maybe God would, would help us here, okay? So, so let me ask this. What did blank reveal about your heart? 2020, what did it reveal about your heart? 
the pandemic, what it revealed about your heart, the election, the racial challenges. What did that person reveal about your heart? What did that scripture reveal about your heart? That incident, what did that blessing, what did that blessing reveal about your heart? It's hard. Because it, it, when, I, when I put these things over, up here, if you're like me, here's what you tend to do. Here's what I tend to do. Let me just speak for myself. Here's what I tend to do. But, God, I was right on this one. I, I, I was in the right here. God, my, my view's over here. I'm right, I'm pretty sure. So, so I, I want to be humble. I want us to be humble. We can be right about something, but still wrong in the heart. And where's God looking? In the heart. In the heart. So, so hoping that the Holy Spirit is, is pulling the curtain back a little bit on our hearts as we're speaking together. Let's lay the word of God on top of our hearts for a second. I just want to read Galatians 5 and, and, and Ephesians. But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, which come from the heart, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. See, I, I, I just want to speak for a second. I think the American church, we've been really good about pointing out this sin, the wild parties. We've, uh, we've been pretty good about this whole drunkenness sin. Okay, yeah, yeah we're not sexual immorality, mm, that's wrong. But how about hostility? How about quarreling? How about jealousy? How about outbursts of anger? How about selfish ambition? How about dissension and division? How about envy? So God just lays that open to an open heart because that's where he's working and testing. Now, in case, you know, I just, let's keep going for just a second, okay? Ephesians says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now, now listen, listen, listen. Because we're better at saying what's happening to me than what's God revealing, some of us don't want to take that word all and, and just exit out and say, yeah, but I'm okay. I can be bitter about this one. Or, God... I can be rageful and angry about this. No. It says all. So instead, he says, be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted and forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So what is what has happened to us revealing about us? Because that's where God's wanting to work, in his church. Now, I, I want to share a warning, or for some of us, it's an explanation. Until we go there with God, God will keep the focus there. 
And every time the hardship or the test or the trial or the disappointment comes up, we'll be hurt instead of hopeful. He will just keep it there. He's a good doctor. He's a good heart surgeon. So maybe, maybe some of my um, story, failure, whatever, will help. Um, so I, I shared with you last week that 2020 was kind of this repetitive refrain of, of criticism that I, that I received. And, and, and let me say this. I understand I'm a public figure. Some of that goes with the territory, okay? And I, I just want to make that clear. But, you know, it was just a lot for the year. And, and it, it's, it's continued in 21. Praise the Lord, right? Um, life's designed to be a test. And, and I kept dealing with this and dealing with this. And, 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 I, and, and, and I just let you into, like, my mind, my journal, my heart. And, and early on, I was like, God... But on this one, I'm right. And, and their criticism is not valid. It's not biblical. I'm right. And, and, and it just continued. And, and I was like, okay, what is God, what's my heart? And, and, and in this process, I felt like, you know, through the word of God, God showed me this. Listen, Matt, it's not about being right. And, and, and there were two things that God taught me in, from a heart level is, Number one, Matt, you don't have any right to get treated better than Jesus did. Yeah, you're, you're right, God. And then the second thing God showed me is, listen, Matt, my purpose for my church is not merely to be right, but to be Christ-like. You see, you see... Jesus wants to make us like himself. And, and listen, to, and I say this to my church, our church, and the American church. We need to become more passionate about Christ-likeness in God's house than who inhabits the White House. Or we are out of alignment with God. And that is not my opinion. That is the word of God. All right. So, um, um, we're letting God speak to us, but um, I owe you hope, right? I promised you hope, even in the midst of hard and difficult. So how, how do we get there? All right. Well, we keep going through God's word. So God tested Jesus. God's testing Israel. And, I, and, and the passage takes this beautiful turn, this hopeful turn. And I'm hoping in our hearts will take this turn too, even as our hearts are open before God. He says, keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Now, so, so discipline is a tough word, but it's a word of love. As dads, as moms, as coaches, as teachers, right? You discipline in the context of relationship. Because what? You want the best for your son. You want the best for your daughter. So discipline is a byproduct of relationship. And discipline done right, and God always does what's right, is designed to bring about the best, battle-tested to position ourselves to receive the best, right? Now, 
that continues through the passage. We skip down to verse 15 and 16. It says, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He led you, designed to be a test. Reframe it, to, to embrace it. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had known, in order to humble and to test you at the heart level. We said this, all that. So that in the end, he might do good to you. He might do good. And what can he do? More than we can ask or imagine. So what is he doing? Positioning, battle testing his people to receive what he can do. So, number three, the third final step in reframing to, to fuel our hope is this. Testing comes before the blessing. Testing comes before the blessing. So, do you want to know why Matt Evans is flipping fired up to be a Christian in 2021? Because this is what I'm seeing in God's Word. God's Word hadn't changed we can change years, we can change context, but we can't change the truth. We can embrace it and be energized by it and be excited by it. Say, yes, God, you're going to do more than I can ask for. And you're testing and you're disciplining and you're positioning. But not to punish us, but to bless us. Let's go back to some of those New Testament passages. James, listen, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result. Testing before blessing. David prays a beautiful prayer. He says, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. God, do heart surgery on me and then lead me in the everlasting or the best way. So listen, there's a truth we need to understand. There's a truth we need to understand, and it is a hope-giving truth. And, and this is the beautiful thing. Why Christian hope is better than worldly hope, but Christian hope and hardship and testing go together. And here it is. God's disciplining, God's discipline of us is more about his destiny for us than his, than his displeasure with us. His discipline of you, of me, of his church is more about... Our destiny or his destiny for us than his displeasure with us. So every one of us here today, I fundamentally believe God is speaking to you. Because we're all in this something, right? This test, this refiner's fire, this discipline, this hardship, this disappointment, this frustration. But for the Christian, they go together. And the hardship is designed by God, yes, as a test, but to fuel your hope because God is disciplining to bring you to destiny, to bring you to blessing. It's like my old football coach used to say. He said, listen, boys, if we're yelling at you and we're coaching you, it means we hadn't given up on you. I think God's doing some yelling at his church. I think God's doing some refining in his church. I think God's doing some breakthroughs and brokenness in his church. I think God's pointing out some things in the heart of his church that are out of alignment and out of sync with his heart. But he's doing that because he hadn't given up on us because we're still plan A. And to my knowledge, there's no plan B. So, so let's ask another question. What is happening to me, revealing about me, 
to prepare and position me for God's best. Best is yet to come. I would love to pray this scripture over you, over us, over our church, over our country, over God's world. Would you bow and pray with me at all of our locations and online? Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. God, that is such a hopeful verse. And God, I, I pray you give us a hunger even more for what you can do. That, that God, what we want is what you can do. Not what we can do, but you can do. God, and it just is mind-blowing. And it's according to the power that works in us. God, it's not our power. It's not what man can do, what Matt can do, what Rockbridge can do. It's what you can do in and through us, God. And I pray you're positioning us as we speak for what you can do. And God, this is all to him, to you, God, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, your church, your plan, be glorified in the church, every church, in all six of our communities, in this nation, the American church, the global church, bring glory through it, God, in your son, Jesus. And Lord, we're, this is our generation. So God, we are not exempt from this promise of yours that you want to do and are able to do beyond all that we ask or think. So God, battle test us, position us to receive your best, our destiny for your glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.